Uh, we're in Romans chapter 4, <clears throat> and uh, the, the title of our message uh, this morning is uh, basically, uh, it's a question, uh, is the gospel in the Old Testament? And um, first service, they all answered me, and, you, and uh, I, I said, you weren't supposed to answer, it was a rhetorical question. <laughs> but... Uh, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, uh, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Uh, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So does this blessedness come then only, or upon the circumcised only, or upon the Jew, um, or upon the uncircumcised, the Gentile also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not while circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And he, he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that is Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Uh, and the father of the circumcision, the Jewish people, uh, to those who are not only uh, are of the circumcision, but, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham uh, had while still uncircumcised. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we praise you today and we bless you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We, we thank you for the good news, the gospel, that uh, Lord illuminates us to the very fact of what you have wrought for us, what you've done for us. And Lord, as our text says, we realize we've got nothing to boast about. Lord, there isn't anything that we could work for. Lord, anything that we could do or some great deed we could accomplish. But Lord, just to simply believe, to put our trust, our faith in in your promise and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we thank you that you have atoned, Lord, for our sins. And that, Lord, as we simply trust you, that you will... Lord, ascribe to us, Lord, uh, you will give to us this incredible gift, Lord, of a righteousness that is so superior uh, to anything that we could ever uh, accomplish on our own. And so I pray, Father, as we uh, also, Lord, come to the communion table this morning. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts. Lord, uh, we're, we're thankful, Lord, for the grace that we experience in the Lord Jesus that, Lord, we're not only forgiven initially at some point in time from our past life, but, Lord, uh, you continually cleanse us, Lord, as we confess our sins, as we, Lord, um, receive, Lord, your forgiveness afresh. And I pray, Father, for us this morning, Lord, you see and know each one of us so thoroughly through and through. Lord, uh, you know where we've come from. You know what's going on privately in our lives or in our thoughts. Lord, you know our future, you know our tomorrows. And Lord, um, we pray, Father, that we might, Lord, uh, interface, Lord, with you today. Lord, that um, whatever it is that, Lord, we need, we we thank you that we can find it in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, um, we commit this time to you. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we have uh, looked at chapter 3 last week, uh, we talked about a new kind of righteousness, 
uh, not of righteousness where anybody could, you know, believe or something they could accomplish or do, you know, on their own, but it's simply a righteousness that comes to us uh, as we simply place our faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, It's amazing how simple the gospel is. Uh, yet we find that the religions of the world, and, and it's not just the religions of the world, it's, it's, the, it's the human nature that we so often feel that we have to work for something. Sometimes uh, if somebody ever just gives you something uh, out of a, just a gracious and a, and a, and a you know, kind of a way, you feel like, well, what can I do for you? You always feel like you have to do something back for them, uh, you know, just you know, as, a, as, a, as a favor to them, recognizing for their goodness to you. But when it comes here to this whole matter of the grace of God, there's nothing we can do uh, to achieve it. It's just simply accepting it. It's believing it um, you know, because of what he has done for you and I uh, upon the cross. Also, too, in chapter tw- or 3, rather, we looked at verse 23. Uh, it was the beginning of what we call the Romans Road. The Romans Road is the road to salvation. Uh, there are five different stops along the road, the road of salvation. But the first one in verse 23 was that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, it doesn't matter how moral a person may be, and some people are a lot more moral than other people. We all find ourselves falling short of the glory of God, falling short of any kind of perfection, and we find ourselves you know, basically uh, at the mercy and the grace and the goodness of our God. And when we do, we find out how good He is. You know, how merciful he is, how kind he is, how willing he is. Uh, Really, when you think about the cross, it's the most generous thing that has ever been done for man because it's the free gift. It's God coming, sacrificing himself totally, uh, in a sense, giving up his life, uh, becoming our substitute, taking our punishment, taking our judgment. Um, And basically, even as the scripture says, I think in Romans chapter 5, we'll look at um, begin to look at uh, in, in, a, uh, in a couple weeks, uh, that he becomes sin for us. He actually becomes sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And so there's an awesome thing when we read these verses and we look at what God has wonderfully done for us. Now, as we come to chapter 4, we meet two um, Bible characters. We met them before. They're Old Testament characters. Uh, we're talking about Abraham and David uh, and there's much to draw from their life. When we think about Abraham, he's referred to basically as the father of all those who believe. He's the father, the patriarch of this whole matter, this issue of faith. But when we look at these guys, you know, and one thing we find about the Bible is very honest. Uh, it reveals to us all the, the shortcomings, all the failures, all the flaws. Um, and in that is not to diminish someone but it's basically to show what human nature is. So that we, you know, one of the things I find oftentimes as I read the Bible, it's so relatable. I, I find myself so often in the pages of Scripture. I find it in the lives of other people. The things, you know, the decisions they make, the things that they're going through. And I think that is the importance, you know, of the Bible. And we find out, just like they found out, there was grace. Um, and so for all their failures, all their flaws, and all those particular problems, in spite of those, we find that they are simply justified in God's sight by faith. They simply put their faith, their trust in him. And this word justified, we talked about it, we looked at it briefly last week. And it basically means that God declares us righteous. Um, you know, we can't earn it, even after we get saved. Sometimes that's what people think. After I get saved, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to pay God back. I'm really going to, I'm going to really be good. And you come to find out uh, we're not as good as maybe we hope to be. We, we, certainly, uh, we certainly work at that. Um, but the fact of the matter is he simply declares that he speaks that you are simply righteous. You, you belong to me now. And he treats us as righteous. And, and also, too, this righteousness that he gives us, we walk in it. Um, there's a righteousness that's cultivated because we're, begin, we're given a new nature now. And because we have this new nature, we can do things that we could never do before. Uh, we can forgive. We can love people that are unlovable. Uh, we, we do things that are not just self-centered. We do things now that are other-centered. And I think one of the great witnesses, you know, we talk about evangelizing people, you know, they'll always hear what we have to say, but they're going to watch our life. They're going to watch how we respond, how we react, how we treat people. Do we go out of our way? Uh, you know, do we really seek to serve people and to bless them? I, I think this is one of the greatest witnesses because there's something about the human heart. It knows how selfish it is. 
Now, the Bible, the, one of the Proverbs you know, speaks to that effect. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the heart knows its own weakness, its own vulnerabilities, its own bitternesses, and those sorts of things. So that when we see somebody acting out of, you know, a different kind of character, it's an incredible witness. I imagine there have been maybe situations like that where you have maybe recognized somebody acting like that, and you went up and asked them and said, are you a believer? And you found out, yes, they were a believer because you were looking at their life. You were looking at their actions. And I think, again, I, I feel that those, you know, a life simply lived out for the glory of God is the greatest witness, greatest evangelistic tool. Uh, again, because people, you know, people see, um, you know, that, that otherworldly quality, you know, that we have because of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives. Now, as we come here to chapter 4, uh, we meet here Abraham, first and foremost, uh, the patriarch of faith, and he was so absolutely revered. Not only is he revered in Judaism, but he's revered in all the world's religions, in Christianity, uh, as the father of the faithful, in Judaism, also to in Islam, uh, but certainly in Islam, perhaps in a different way. Uh, and, and there's much rabbinical tradition you know, around this man, Abraham. Um, there, there are several writings um, uh, three, I had three points here, basically, of some of the traditions that were spoken about Dave, uh, excuse me, Abraham. And the first one is this, that he performed the entire law, the written law, before it was written. Uh, in other words, he's put on this pedestal almost like a Superman kind of individual. It's also said about him that he was perfect in all of his deeds. Well, we know from the scripture that he wasn't that perfect. Because, again, the Bible is perfectly clear to reveal to, to us you know, all the flaws of its particular heroes. Uh, and thirdly, it says, uh, the traditions say about Abraham that he had no need of repentance. And we know that that's not true. Uh, he certainly had need of repentance. Now, again, these were traditions that people believed. And uh, it kind of reminds me of that movie, Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen that movie. It's a great movie. been around for a long time. I think somebody was saying, after, somebody told me after first service there, there's going to be a play, I guess, uh, maybe in Rochester or, or Buffalo or someplace uh, where they're going to go see uh, this play that, uh, or the movie and, uh, you know, the story. They never saw it before. And one of the themes about that, that whole story is tradition. Uh, the uh, Retevia, the, the main character in there, he, he sings a song about tradition, tradition, tradition. And, you know, not all tradition is bad. Um, you know, we as Christians, we have our tradition, don't we? We, we have certain even... You know, Calvary Chapel, we have our particular traditions, and they're not always bad. Uh, but I think it's important that, you know, we know the Bible uh, so that we can, you know, basically examine our traditions and make sure they truly are biblical. Because we tend to sometimes put more conviction, you know, into the traditions than we do into, the, into Bible truth. Um, and I've always said this, yes, it's okay to have traditions, but they should be born, they should be, grow, they should be grown out of uh, a biblical understanding. You know, out, you know, basically our understanding, our convictions, you know, about Scripture. Now, Paul basically in this chapter is going to explode uh, these particular myths, these particular traditions, because, again, traditions so often guide people. Maybe some of us, we come from a very heavy background of tradition. Uh, I do. I come from a very, you know, a Catholic tradition. I grew up as a Catholic in a Catholic family, uh, going to parochial schools, um, and, uh, you know, being married in the Catholic Church and everything we pretty much did was both Mar my, my wife Margie, her family, uh, was Catholic as well. And there was just a lot of traditions that people just accept and believe because why? Uh, well, in, in the Catholic uh, faith of my day, you didn't read the Bible. You know, basically the priest told you, you know, what you were to believe and what you were to do. Uh, and, you know, growing up as a Catholic, you had certain uh, instruction, religious instruction, uh, about how you were to be as a Catholic. But not all those things, maybe some of those, but not all of those things were simply, uh, you, know, based, you know, based on the Bible. They were tradition. And it's a very important, um, you know, that, that what, we, you know, what, you know, what we know and, and hold as dear, uh, that it's truly believable and it's Bible-based. And so Paul here is expo exploding, rather, some of the myths um, that was uh, very prevalent in his day and in his time. Uh, verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found or discovered according to the flesh? In other words, what has uh, Abraham discovered in this matter of justification? 
you know, by works or is it really by faith? What did he find in his particular personal experience? And he's going to basically take us back into the scripture. Uh, for he says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And of course, we know human nature loves to boast. It loves to boast about its accomplishments. Uh, sometimes you can go into someone's office and they have all their accolades and their credentials on the wall. And uh, maybe they may not outwardly boast about it, but they feel proud about their accomplishments. And, uh, uh, and, and, and certainly Paul, you know, experienced that, you know, uh, in, in his background as, as, a, as a Jew. He referred to himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And I imagine, uh, you know, Paul at one time, like all of us at one time, we boasted about, you know, certain things. And, uh, and so he says, what did Abraham, you know, find in his experience? Was there anything there? Because, again, he's going back to the prototype. He's going back to the very beginning. He's going back to Abraham, the patriarch, you know, of our faith. And so in verse 3, he says, what does the Scripture say? I think that's a very important thing. Um, you know, we need to ask ourselves when we are faced with, uh, you know, a spiritual truth or a principle. Because I've seen, I, I, you know, I've been around close to 45 years now as a believer, and I've seen sometimes Christians get caught up in trendy um, uh, teachings or doc doctrines that are not necessarily fully grounded or rooted in the Scripture. And so here, I think an important question is, what does the Bible say? We need to be, you know, we need you know, more than just uh, uh, giving in to, you know, whatever may feel good or whatever comes down the pike, because sometimes, um, you know, that happens in the life of a believer. Maybe they're going through some kind of bored experience, uh, you know, with the, with their, in their relationship with the Lord, so some trendy um, you know, thing comes down the pike, and they just, you know, they get kind of, um, get kind of caught up in it. And somebody just recently uh, uh, sent me a um, um, an email about a, a, a new book that's written, and I'm not going to mention who it's by. I, I don't, I, I have no per, no desire at all to impugn anybody um, and impugn their motives. That is. Uh, but uh, I noticed the, the person that, that, that writes these books, they, they write a lot of books like this. It's like nobody ever knows, nobody ever knows this code or nobody ever seen this before. Uh, and, it's, and it's always kind of sensationalized. And I kind of think there's a tendency sometimes, you know, along those lines to sensationalize their writing to just maybe crank out another book. People make a lot of money selling books. And people get all excited about, you know, these new books, uh, but they really, in a sense, don't really shed any light on, you know, on the Scripture. And I think we need to be danger you know, careful about those kind of things. There's a lot of uh, things like that that sort of float around in Christianity. So what does, again, the best thing that you and I can do is know the Bible. I think the Bible inherently produces in us a discernment. Um, the more that we read it, the more that we know it. There, there's a sense that when something counterfeit. Uh, comes along or something. And, you know, Satan's very clever, too, regarding the church, that he sends something along. It's not a full lie. It's, got a, it's a half-truth, okay? It's got a, a certain aspect of truth to it. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be able to discern those things and be careful uh, what we allow to be, you know, what trend that we allow to, to impact our lives. Now, verse 3, what does the Scripture say? Abraham, now he quotes here, um, Genesis 15, 6, um, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, or it was, a, it was accredited to him. Now, he takes us back here to a very important event uh, in chapter 15 of Abraham's life. And I want you to turn there. If you don't, I'll read it to you, but I think it's always better for you personally to turn there and to uh, be able to look at these verses in your own Bible, maybe uh, to even circle something or highlight something. In chapter 15, Abraham, he's not Abraham yet, he's Abram, but he comes just from a war. If you remember, uh, God used him to deliver his cousin Lot. Uh, Lot got uh, caught up in um, a, a war that took place uh, down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and so he's carried off, and we know the story there basically that Abraham, he had over 300 servants. Uh, he had uh, sort of... Uh, he had a couple of platoons, and, uh, and basically he went after uh, f uh, armies, I think from four or five nations, I forget exactly, um, and defeated them. And he retrieved Lot, brought him back. 
But he's concerned, no doubt, he's fearful, and God visits him in chapter 15. He's maybe fearful about retribution. You know, when you beat up the bully on the block, you think he's going to come back after you at some particular time. And I think Abraham is thinking uh, in those particular terms in chapter 15. So God basically appears to him. And he says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So God is basically saying, you know, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I'm going to take care of you. Um, uh, We see that in the life of so many biblical characters, you know, in difficult times. God's saying there, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. You just, you've committed your life to me. But he says something also, too, that was in the back of Abraham's mind, because remember, over in chapter 12, the Lord told Abraham that you're going to be the father of many nations. And here at this point, he's still childless. And this is a number of years later, and he's kind of wondering, Lord, when are you going to provide? Because when God originally spoke that to him, he was about 70 years old. So you know, when you get into your 70s, you're not thinking about having too many children at that particular point. So every, every additional year, it gets all that more impossible. So that's the concern in the back of his mind when he says, I'm your reward. And, and I imagine you know, Abraham was saying, well, yeah, that's cool, Lord, that's great. But what about the promise you made to me? And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he took him. Uh, he brought him rather outside, and he said, Now look, uh, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So an incredible promise he makes to him, takes him outside, sees a starry night. Um, your descendants of Abraham are going to be more than those stars. But, but here's the thing. In verse 6, This is why Abraham, our forefather of faith, was declared righteous. He believed in the Lord. In other words, he believed very simply the promise of God. He believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So incredibly simple and beautiful. And the thing is, uh, you know, when we look at this story here, um, you know, it's just the the, the grace of God, there's, there's nothing he could do. This was before, in a sense, all the good deeds, and even one of the points that Paul's making in here, this whole good deed or this act of circumcision. Because if this act of circumcision, which many deem it to be, that's the point of Jewishness. Abraham believed God before that point. As a matter of fact, 14 years at least before that point. And I guess if you can look at it in a very technical way, he believed in the Lord when he was still a Gentile. Do you know that Abraham was an Iraqi before he was considered a Hebrew in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 14? Now, if you're ever talking to a Jewish person, you don't want to remind them of that, okay? Yeah, you may get a punch in your nose uh, kind of a thing. But again, here he's trying to build a case here Now, basically, his justification came before any great work in his life, and particularly before the decision there uh, regarding circumcision. Now, is it possible that the gospel is in the Old Testament? Have you ever seen the gospel in the Old Testament? Well, let me tell you, turn to Galatians chapter 3, and Paul tells us where it is. He tells us where it is. Actually, it's a number, there's a number of places we find in the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6, again, Paul here using Abraham uh, as an illustration. It says, just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of the faith, are of faith, rather, are the sons, are the children of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And he takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we have, in a sense, that first promise you know, of the gospel. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing uh, Abraham. So again, we have promises, and we see that, actually you see that all through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is sort of punctuated, uh, pointing, to, pointing to Christ, pointing to the gospel, pointing to what he would do. Uh, even, there's even one place, Jeremiah 31, 31, uh, where Jeremiah references the new covenant. Uh, but there's so many other places uh, where we see that there's promises that there would be uh, good news, you know, for the Gentiles. There would be this gospel that would go out to the entire world. Now, looking at verse 4, <clears throat> now to him who works, uh, wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt or as an obligation. You know, in our world, when you work, you're, you're expected to be paid. Uh, you don't do it, you know, can you imagine if you work all week longer, maybe I, there was one time I had a job in a dental lab, I used to get paid monthly. Well, what about if my boss came up to me and said, you know what, I've got a gift for you. Uh, you've been a good employee, and I have a gift for you, and here... You know, here's your here's your your, your salary. And I would think gift. Wait a minute. I, I worked for that. That that's my money. I, I earned that. Uh, and he's speaking here basically about those who, who you know, in their attempts to be good, thinking that perhaps in their goodness they could work for salvation. And we simply find that we cannot do it. It's impossible for us to do it. And I think you know, as we uh, reference here, and, and Paul speaks about particularly the Jewish people, um, they thought, they felt if they maintained the law, we talked about that, we've been talking about that, if they maintained, if they kept, you know, all the commandments of the law, the law or the Ten Commandments of the law, that they would be righteous. And the fact of the matter, it was never intended for that. That was never the purpose. It was to be a guideline. It was to be a, a schoolmaster. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20, tells us that by the law, by the Ten Commandments, you know, is the knowledge of sin. Um, you know, sometimes we have these discussions with people about, you know, keeping the Ten Commandments. But if you try to keep them, you realize you really can't. And remember, Jesus was, was, was speaking to the super-religious guys of his day, the Pharisees, and they were, they were absolutely convinced that they were keeping them uh, because they were keeping them in an external sense, but, they, but, but with, within their hearts and lives, they weren't keeping them. They were violating them. They were crossing the line. Uh, regarding the things that they were thinking about. Yes, they weren't maybe coveting another man's wife, uh, you know, as far as uh, being an adulterer, but there was, this, there was the, 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 um, the motivation within the heart, the mind, uh, or coveting things, or, you know, the neighbor's goods, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, when you think about today, uh, so much of advertising is based on coveting. You know, you look at other people, and you look at what they have. I can remember we lived uh, in a... Uh, fairly new tract back in the 1970s, and um, it was interesting to watch. It were basically young families, you know, um, young couples, young married couples in their 20s, uh, maybe some in their early 30s, all raising their family. It was kind of, I, and I just couldn't help but notice when somebody got a pool, all of a sudden, bing, 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 bing. Everybody, uh, somebody got a deck, bing, 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 bing. Everybody's got a deck. Somebody has a, a, a camper in their front, in their driveway, bing, 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 bing. Everybody, you know, it's like so often we're just, you know, we, we see these, you know, we see what's going on in our world around us, you know, the material world. It's like, oh, I want that. I need that in my life. And advertising is, is, is based on that. Uh, but we don't even realize oftentimes that it's coveting, you know, desiring something that we don't have. And so then we have to, you know, then you have to work more and more to get it. And, and there becomes the, the neglect of the, the, the marriage or the neglect of the family and all these things. Um, so we come to find out when we look at the Ten Commandments, uh, they're not so simple to keep. We, we find out even though maybe externally we may not violate them, but yet we find how easy it is to violate them, you know, in, um, in, our, uh, in our thoughts and, and uh, in our lives. Okay, here we are. Let's see him. So we're in verse 4. Okay, lost my place there. Now, to him who works, wages are not counted as grace, uh, but as a debt, uh, an obligation. And, and see, the problem, though, spiritually, is that we owe a debt we cannot pay. 
Uh, it's a sin debt we cannot pay. And that's what, that's what the cross is about. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's why we're going to serve communion here this morning. And Jesus said uh, how important it is to keep this ordinance, to remind ourselves continually of the cross and of the sacrifice and what he has done. Because you know what? It's too easy to forget it. You know, you get saved and you just kind of go on with your life. You know, you get set free and God does a work within your heart, within your life. But he wants us to continue to remember uh, this great sacrifice, what he has done, what he has accomplished for us. And it's simply by his grace. It's, 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 you know, it, it's given to us. And you ever notice that sometimes when you give something to someone um, and they don't work for it, there may be a lack of appreciation. Do you ever notice that? Because we, we do. We live in what oftentimes people uh, refer to um, as a, I, oh gosh, I can't think of the word, um, but basically a culture uh, that thinks, you know, that everything should be given to them uh, type of thing. Entitlement, that's the word I'm looking for. We live in an entitlement mentality and culture out there. Um, and, and if you ever notice that when you just give somebody, um, you know, just keep giving them things, they don't appreciate it anymore. Um, and, and so the Lord reminds us the mere fact that we've got this incredible, awesome gift of redemption, salvation, a good life, a blessed life. That's because of what he's done for us. And, and the beautiful thing is about this gift of redemption, that even though our sins were forgiven, you know, at some point in time, and we came to know Christ, that we keep coming back. We can keep coming back confessing our sins. We, can come, we keep going back for a new beginning, to get the slate clean, uh, to get our hearts changed. You know, God never stops working, you know, within our lives, within our hearts. But again, this incredible gift of salvation, it all started at the cross. And that's why we continue to honor the Lord um, by coming to the, uh, by coming basically to the, uh, to the uh, Lord's Supper and to the table. But look at verse 5. Here's a solution. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, on Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, a self-righteous person, when they hear something like that, that, that God will justify the ungodly. Uh, I used an illustration in first service. Imagine, just imagine you know, for a moment, if, if somebody that you love, a loved one, was murdered. And the person who did it was sentenced to death. And as part of the family, you have, you have the, 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 the privilege of, of going there and to observing them um, justice for your sake, putting that person to death. And so the day finally comes where this person is going to be, receive a lethal injection. But he has an opportunity to stand up and to say his last words. And he gets up and he says, you know, I'm so, I'm so terribly sorry uh, for, my, for what I've done to you. But I want to tell you this, I've been forgiven. Jesus Christ has cleansed me. He's washed me from my sins. I'm a changed person. And even though I agree what's going to take place today, I know I'll be in heaven with him. Now, some people would say, he doesn't deserve that. And it's true, he doesn't. But isn't that the grace of God? Isn't the grace and the mercy of our God? That's why it's so important for us um, when someone has you know, violated us in some kind of a way, that, that we have a gracious and a kind and a forgiving spirit uh, you know, regarding that person that may have hurt us. Uh, you know, yes, they, they don't deserve you know, forgiveness. Uh, but again, grace is like that. It gives to those that are basically, you know, undeserving. And again, the, I think in verse 5, the self-righteous person, he's going to, you know, I've been working as a good person. I've been working all my life. God, you know, God, you know, basically uh, justifies the wicked. He justifies the ungodly. That's not fair. <laughs> and I'm so thankful grace isn't fair. It doesn't give us what we deserve. It gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, the love of God, the mercy of God. Uh, let's see, verse 6. <clears throat> we find in verses 6 through 8, uh, Paul is going to 
draw a quotation from uh, Psalm 32 from one of David's psalms. So he's bringing here now David into the conversation. And if you remember, David has sinned greatly. Uh, and what he's going to do, he's going to rehearse here how blessed he is. Uh, I, I've discovered there's three psalms in the Psalter uh, that really speak of, to me, there's, I, I, I always I, I put them together as a trilogy. Uh, they're not in a chronological order, but it's Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and Psalm 38. Um, psalm 38, if you read that, you'll, you'll see David is wrestling um, before, he, before he's forgiven, before he's cleansed. It's just, it, and you can relate to it. Uh, what, what, what you may go through, uh, if there's an issue in your life um, that you read that psalm, it's like, wow, that's exactly how I feel. You kind of resonate to it. Uh, and then Psalm 51 is a psalm where he's declaring his, his repentance. Um, very powerful psalm. So oftentimes we read that. We sometimes read that when we come to the, to the, uh, to the Lord's Supper. But Psalm 32 that, he's, that, that Paul is quoting from here is David's psalm after the fact. He's been forgiven. And he's blessed now that he's been forgiven. And so I put these, kind of, I put these three together, you know, 38, 51, and 32, uh, as just a trilogy of David's, we, we, we refer to them as penitential psalms, uh, where David is, is talking about uh, his forgiveness and his sin. But it's interesting, too, because over in Psalm 51, he speaks about the fact that there was no sacrifice that he could offer. Do you know that, that, that in the Old Testament, you know, there was a sacrificial system, but when it came to deliberate, willful, high-handed sin, there was no sacrifice. There was no sacrifice for it. In other words, you were simply at the absolute mercy of God. And that's what David declares when he realizes, when he finally realizes, you know, uh, and the Holy Spirit convicts him over in Psalm 51, verse 16. He says, you know, if you were, if the, uh, you know, I would, I would give the, I would give the, uh, the sacrifice if that's what you required. But there was no required sacrifice, you know, for that. And so it says here in verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or the person to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Uh, Uses the, the term blessed. Uh, two times here, but I think he's highlighting, more importantly, the whole matter of this word imputation. Uh, We find it 11 times in chapter 4 of Romans, but we find it in different English words. We may find it in the word accounted or credited uh, or imputed, Um, but basically it's the Greek word logizemi, and basically it's just telling us that God has credited this whole matter of righteousness to us. We didn't earn it. It's just, it's just like someone would put in your bank a billion dollars. That's what Jesus Christ does for us, spiritually speaking. He puts in our spiritual bank the fact that he has credited to us the, his righteousness. David experienced that after his great sin. You're saying, oh, oh, how blessed. How blessed it is to be forgiven. How blessed it is that God has not imputed sin to me. That's why I think, you know, when we first come to Christ, um, I was speaking to a man this week, and uh, he got saved in one of our services. And I was just talking to him, you know, about the whole matter of, because I was concerned uh, if he was, uh, had been converted yet. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, in one of the services I stood up, and it was like a weight was lifted off my soul. And he said, ever since then, I've been seeking the Lord. And, and I knew right then and there, okay, God's in your life. You're saved. You're converted. And, um, and that happens for any of us when we first come to Christ. There's a, just the, the, the sense of the, the burden being lifted, the weight being lifted. I'm a changed person. And there's a blessedness, a wonderful blessedness that David is speaking about that every one of us, that when we come to to Christ, that we experience that. What an incredible, awesome gift uh, that he places and he puts into our lives. Now, his question is, looking at verses 9 and 10, now, is this an exclusive club? Is this only for one people group? Now, remember, the, the Jews thought that. Jewish people thought that. They thought that it was simply only for them. 
Uh, and it was because of their relationship with the Gentile world and uh, the treatment they had received from the Gentile world and so forth. And they knew in one sense that they were a special people. The Lord told them that. They were, you know, that they were peculiar people. They were a special people because basically because of their relationship with him, they were to communicate that to the world. And we know they didn't do, do, do too well with that. Uh, and when I think of that, I think also to how we struggle with that, don't we, as a church, uh, to kind of get the gospel out there, um, you know, to make an impact for the Lord because of our relationship uh, with him. And so, uh, and, you know, the early church, too, had a difficult problem with this because probably because of their Jewishness. Uh, we know it wasn't until Acts chapter 10, uh, which I assume is probably somewhere close to 10 years later from Pentecost, that Peter has to get a miraculous vision in order to even go to a house of a Gentile. You remember this story? Cornelius gets a vision, Peter gets a vision, and uh, you know the Lord brings those guys together. Peter's at the house only because he's been directed specifically, miraculously, you know, by the Lord. And I would imagine uh, he wasn't in there to preach some sermon. He just began to tell them, you know, basically what God had done, you know, for them. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just poured out, you know, on this whole group of Gentiles. So it was a very difficult thing, I think, early on to realize that this gospel was really for the entire world. Doesn't it shock us sometimes that God saves sometimes the most unlikely um, he saves people sometimes in the most, their, their most unlikely situations. You know, sometimes when you're all loaded for bear with your gospel gun and you just want to find somebody to witness to, can't find anybody and nobody gets saved. But then sometimes in just a conversational kind of a way, all of a sudden God has just sort of set something up and you're, you're sharing the gospel with somebody and maybe they, they might get saved. He says, does this, this blessedness that, that, that David is speaking uh, does it come really upon the Jew? That's, his, that's basically his um, um, implication here, upon the Jew only, or, or also here uh, upon the Gentile. We say that that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Uh, and again, we see all the way through the Bible, the Bible gives us hints uh, of the gospel, that God has had a plan, a purpose for uh, you know, the, good, you know, the good news for the, for the uh, Gentile people. Uh, how then was it accounted? Here, here's his answer. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Um, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So the question, the question is, is when and what time was Abraham declared righteous? Was it before or after this whole deed or this act uh, of circumcision? And the question is very simply, before. 14 years before. And so the point being is Abraham was not justified by that deed of circumcision or by any deed. Those things were simply a sign. Let me ask you this, putting it in a Christian context. Were you saved when you got baptized? No, you got saved before you got baptized. It was just a sign. It was just an outward sign you know, of what the Lord had done within your heart and within your life. I think sometimes when, you know, there's a danger, I think, sometimes of putting an emphasis upon uh, ordinances, you know, somebody, you know, because somebody receives communion, does that mean they're saved? No. Um, or again, if they're baptized or uh, they went to a crusade and they had their name, they stood up and went forward at a crusade, does that save them? No. Faith saves us. As we put our faith, you know, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And again, it's so simple, just simply to believe. You know, sometimes when you think about what you know now as a believer, and you realize what you didn't know when you, were a, when, you, when you were first coming to Christ. You didn't know all the dynamics. You didn't know much in the way of theology. All you knew is that God was calling you, and you put your faith in Him. You put your trust. You know, you put your faith and trust, you know, in very simply in His Word. So, Abraham is simply a prototype of all those who would believe, those that would follow after, irrespective of background, Jew or Gentile. And basically, he believed God's promise. And that's the beauty of faith. That's the simplicity and the beauty of faith. Um, sometimes I'll have people ask me um, just about simple, beautiful faith, you know, in their relationship with the Lord. And I said, be careful 
sometimes that we can complicate our relationship with the Lord. And Paul uh, spoke to, I forget what group it was, in one of his epistles, he says, how important it is to, to keep the simplicity in Jesus. You know, just to keep, just keep walking with him, keep trusting him, keep getting to know him better. Sometimes, we, again, we can get all tangled up. Um, I like what a um, uh, well-known Bible teacher out of Cleveland, Ohio, um, he's on the radio, he's on WZXV. Can anybody? Alistair Begg, yeah. Um, he was in one of his conferences, and he's spoken to a lot of our confer- at a lot of our conferences. And, and if you've ever heard him, he's just, uh, just a great, uh, great preacher and Bible teacher. And he uses a phrase sometimes, um, and he was, saying to one of, he was saying to one of his conference groups, um, he was saying in one of his conference groups about another group, and he was saying, he says, sometimes we get so tangled in our theological underwear that we don't go anywhere, we do anything. I thought it was a great point. And he was, and he was basically comparing um, some of the things that were going on in his circles to the simplicity of another group that was just simply making an impact for Jesus Christ in the world. And there's a beautiful simplicity that we have in Jesus. But it's always based on faith. And that's the beauty of walking with him and knowing him, allowing him to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. I mean, he is, he's, always, he's always there for us. And sometimes through life, life can, life can, be, can complicate us, you know, the issues of life. Um, we begin to drift away from the Lord, how things can so easily you know, get complicated. We find that he's always bringing us back to a place of trust, to a place of simple belief you know, in the Lord and in his word. I think we need to be very careful. And again, when that happens, when initially anyway, when righteousness is credited to our account, that changes everything. Uh, in, in closing here, I want to touch on the area of what Paul said in verses 7 regarding the whole matter of forgiveness. I have noticed often it's how the world will not forgive anyone. Have you ever seen how when, when somebody out there in the culture uh, does something offensive, how the world oftentimes comes down on them, tries to, you know, I was thinking of this, this past week, uh, there's a um, comedian by the name of Kevin Hart. Um, I, I've heard him on TV every once in a while. Uh, don't necessarily follow his humor, but he had said something offensive uh, to a certain group. And he was going to speak at the Grammys or the, the Oscars or whatever. He was going to be the host. Uh, and because they dredged up um, this uh, video of one of his uh, you know, comedy routines a few years ago, uh, you know, they, they threw it all over the news. And, um, and as a result, um, he basically is not going to be a host now. And what I thought was interesting about it was that the man had apologized about it several times. And that's the world for you. That, that's the world. Basically, they will not forgive us. They will not simply let something go. And, uh, you know, we see also, too, in our culture this hypersensitivity, that if you say anything, uh, that it can be misconstrued and even, you know, taken to be, uh, you know, insensitive toward a certain group or to be, or to be basically taken to be intolerant. And it's kind of gotten crazy out there with the political correctness. And I think that, uh, I think it's important because, you know, we need to have, and that's what I love about God, and that's what I love about his people, uh, to have a forgiving attitude. I think that's so critical, so important. Because one of the things that I've seen out there is not only there's an intolerance, but oftentimes there's this effort to derail somebody's career. Because he just said, said one thing. And, uh, you know, there's a verse of scripture uh, in Isaiah somewhere, uh, and it says that, that men will make you an offender for just a word. And, and we've come to that time, you know, in our culture and in our society. And there's such a tremendous need, 
you know, for us, for you and I as, as God's people, to have a forgiving heart. There's always going to be somebody who's going to offend us. There's always going to be somebody that wounds us. And we need to be very careful. We need, you know, we need to let it go. It, it's too easy to harbor. And again, we can say, well, that person doesn't deserve it. That may be true. Another reason we say, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness, so therefore I'm not going to give it. But the problem with, I was thinking about forgiveness. I used to work in a dental lab. I used to work with hydrofluoric acid. And, and hydrofluoric acid is what they use. Like if uh, a crown comes back, we have to rebuild the crown. We throw it in the hydrofluoric acid, and it basically dissolves. Within several hours, it dissolves um, the, uh, the, the porcelain, you know, right off of the, 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 the metal coping. And, uh, but you cannot put that hydrofluoric acid in a, in a glass beaker uh, or a glass jar. It'll eat right through it. And I was kind of thinking about that's how unforgiveness and bitterness is. It has a way of just sort of, it's very corrosive and it's very acidic. And it eats through our soul. It, it eats into our heart. It eats into our life. And we have a wonderful opportunity and privilege that as we come to the Lord's table, that if we have issues like that in our lives, to let it go, to give it over to him. Now, I understand why people in the world cannot forgive or don't forgive because they can't forgive. It's very hard, I mean, to, to fully let go of something. But you see, for you and I, we have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have the assistance of the third person of the, the Trinity that he will come in, that he will enable us to relinquish something, to give it up. Because you know what? It's going to hurt you and me far more than it's going to hurt anybody else there that we have unforgiveness against. And Jesus even said, if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. That wasn't Peter. That wasn't Paul. That was Jesus. So forgiveness is very important in order for us not only to have a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but to have a healthy relationship with other people. We will get offended. This is life. But what we do with that is very important. So as we ponder these things this morning, I'm going to ask the ushers, the worship team, they'll come up. And uh, if there's something that uh, you need to give up, something you need to relinquish, maybe you need a new beginning, um, maybe you need to be encouraged, uh, ask the Lord to grant that and give that uh, which you need this morning. Um, we, what, we ask in faith, right? We ask believing. We ask, even though our feelings may be totally opposed to relinquishing something or seeing that I can change, uh, we have a God who can wonderfully do um, exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think, but we have to ask. 